Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. You're listening to the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure, episode number 29. Hey there, Impact Makers. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Impact Makers Podcast, where my goal is to provide you with tools, tips, resources, and information to help you build a career that you love and a life that matters. Now, y'all know I like to convince fascinating people to come on here and talk with me about how they're making an impact in the world to hopefully inspire and encourage you and me to do big things in our own lives. And I'm really excited to share today's conversation with my friend, Eric Peoples. I met Eric about a year ago, thanks to our mutual friend, Mike Kim. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you've heard Mike's name dropped by a number of my guests thus far, and you may also remember that I chatted with Mike back in episode six, where we talked about his journey from ministry to corporate America and now successful entrepreneur. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode yet, I'd highly encourage you to do so. It's one of the most popular Impact Makers episodes to date, and for good reason— Mike's journey is relatable no matter what your career or life goals are, and he's always amazing at dropping lots of wisdom and putting practical frameworks together to encourage action. He also brought up Eric Peoples as being one of the mentors that he's had that has had the most impact on his own life. I was honored to meet Eric last year at Mike's Influence and Impact event, and I was immediately fascinated by his background and the wisdom he shared during the event and in our conversations while we were there. Now, it's been brought to my attention that I've interviewed several people already on this podcast who, although they're still people of faith, have left church ministry and become thriving entrepreneurs. That would be Mike Kim in Episode 6, Carrie Oberbrunner from Episode 9, and Kevin Monroe back in Episode 17. So I'm glad to finally break that streak by talking with someone who's done exactly the opposite, gone from a successful business career into ministry and beyond. Eric spent the early part of his career in the fast-paced world of sales and marketing, where he worked his way up within Xerox, earning multiple awards for being the top salesperson for corporate accounts in the U.S., and ultimately landing the role of high-volume marketing executive. However, in 1995, he decided to leave his high-paid, high-prestige job to enter into the ministry, which, if you're wondering, isn't on the same pay grade as an executive role at a Fortune 500 company. (laughs) But he felt a strong call to serve and saw the opportunity to have a bigger impact in the world. And in the last 20-plus years, Eric has served as a youth pastor and associate pastor at a church outside Hartford, Connecticut, and he's also launched several domestic and overseas relief operations that provide supplies and humanitarian aid to over 22 countries in the form of building projects and mission trips. In 2014, he and his wife, Melissa, founded Legacy Church in Farmington, Connecticut, where he serves as the lead pastor today. But that's not all. Eric is also a keynote speaker and a certified executive coach. In addition to his day job as a pastor, he also works with entrepreneurs, business leaders, and executives all over the world, holding them accountable and helping them to win, focus, and finish strong. When you think of a minister or pastor, you may not think of a success-oriented business coach who wants to help his clients win, regardless of their religious affiliation. But after you've listened to today's episode, you'll know at least one person that you can apply that definition to. 
I absolutely love Eric's passion to help people actualize the potential that they carry and his core belief that every person carries intrinsic value. He's an impact maker who inspires me in so many ways. If you want to better understand your gifts, lead well, and leverage your influence to make the world a better place, I think you'll be inspired and challenged to do so after listening to my conversation with my friend Eric Peoples today. Well, welcome to the Impact Makers podcast, my friend, Eric Peoples. How are you doing today, Eric? Doing well. It's so good to be here. Jennifer, I think you're awesome. And so I like hanging with awesome people. So this is great. Well, right away, we get to bask in that melodious voice. And you said I was awesome. So my day is just now fantastic. So I am excited to chat with you today. I've already shared with people kind of how we connected and met. And I've heard you speak a couple of times since then. And I'm just really excited to learn more about you myself and also to share kind of your journey and how you're making an impact in the world with everyone here today. So why don't you tell us about yourself? Who is Eric Peoples? Well, Eric Peoples, I would probably sum up in a lot of ways that I like connecting people and ideas. So one of the things I've just loved to do, I think as a part of my family flow, I've learned even from my parents is I love helping people to be the best and do awesome things because I think there's a lot of folks who we've got dreams and ideas and we're, you know, full of a lot of things, but I've heard it said that the graveyard is the richest place on earth. And I've just decided, I think that just from being encouraged and inspired by my parents to just give your best, that's all you can do. And I like helping people figure out like, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? And uh, how do we get there? So yeah, that's what I love doing. Let's see. My wife and kiddos, I think that's a continued legacy in the family. So I've got three kiddos and we talk all the time on a daily basis. So what'd you learn today? You know, we're going to celebrate the inch or we'll celebrate the mile, but let's move forward. Well, they're not kiddos anymore, are they? They're young adults, aren't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm going to work on that. Yeah. 24, 21, and 18. And so, uh, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they probably want to graduate to young adults. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned that family foundation. What did they kind of teach you, your parents, and how did that set you on your path to maybe some of your first choices that you made in life? Well, you know, I would say probably if I just, I believe the history is such a powerful part of your story, you know, and understanding where you came from. Really, in the simplest form, my father's grandfather, so my great grandfather, he was an emancipated slave who end up buying, working as a sharecropper. He had 21 children (laughs) and uh, what they call a four horse farm. And that meant that basically two horses can do about 14 acres a day. And so they had lots of acreage. But one of the things was hard work, do your best and just follow through on what you said do. And so I see that story transferring to my grandfather who moved from the deep South to up North when the, um, Great Depression happened, and he was doing odd jobs and different things, and finally ended up working in a factory. But his claim to fame was he had seven children, so my grandparents, seven, my father's side, seven kids, and they all graduated from college, which was a big deal. Wow, that's a big deal anytime, but especially then, yeah. Yeah, and so again, my dad, all-American basketball player, athlete, but also my family was, again, working hard and doing your best. So he would have side jobs to contribute to the family. And so that legacy, if you will, was a big deal where 
what we all had. And I know it sounds like a foreign word these days, but chores <laughs> as kids. And that was the idea of it was, well, this is how we help the family. And the same on my mother's side. My mother, my father actually ended up becoming a working university and overseeing um, the Department for Black History. And my mom, she worked hard. She ended up working in Division of Youth and Family Services. She was associate director there. And she was the person who helped young people who were in the inner city actually have better choices, better opportunities, if you will. And I can remember vividly those days when there would be a fire. You hear about a fire in an apartment fire, and my mom would come in with those black plastic bags, and she would grab shoes or grab clothes. And the interesting part about that was my mom never grabbed the things that were worn out. Maybe they were a, you know, a week old, or maybe they were new shoes or a new shirt or new something. And she'd say, well, they need it because it's going to encourage them. And my mom would always she'd call me a baby. Baby, this is going to help these people. It's going to encourage them. You've got plenty. And so I just, re, you know, I think I came from a place where as a family and that dynamic that there was always going to be more than enough to take care of you. And so that's why you could take care of others and help others to actually achieve something big. And so that's what I love to do. I love helping leaders win and focus and finish strong. That's my, that's my thing, connecting them to those ideas. Well, that's amazing. You have an amazing family that has set you up for some success in continuing some of those lessons and traditions that they've taught you. But you started out your career, or uh, correct me if I'm wrong, after going to school, did you play sports in school? Well, I played football, but I just wanted, but (laughs) (laughs) again, one of the things is in my family was the big deal about academics. Okay. It was, if you weren't going to go pro, do the next thing, which is get your education. And so, make a long story short, my sports career was ended in high school, and I just dived headlong into college. That was kind of my... So, you mentioned your dad was an All-American athlete, so he didn't place academics over sports. Yeah, well, and the thing was, back in the day, my dad's 83, and so he basically was playing sports, and you got drafted. He got drafted in the military, Mm -hmm. so... He went to Germany instead of going out to the Korean War because that's where a lot of his friends end up going and uh, not surviving. But back in the day, he actually played sports. I think it wasn't too long after that where he got literally had to go into the military and came back and continued playing basketball, ended up being in his college Hall of Fame for uh, basketball. And that was cool. That was a really cool uh, event for him. And so, yeah, in New Jersey, that's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. You know, again... That was a really cool ride. Sports is fun, but at some point in time, it transitions. And what do we do from there? So, yeah. so you started out your corporate career getting recruited by IBM. Is that correct? Xerox. Yeah, Xerox. Xerox. Oh, oh, that's probably I made a oh. so far there. <laughs> <laughs> I still bleed blue. Yes. yes. Uh, uh, that was just pretty much, I would say, it was cool. I mean, at the time in 1989, and so back in the day, I literally can say back in the day, it was 500 people were actually going for two slots. And of course, we didn't know there were only two slots at the time, but a friend of mine knew someone who was hiring and he said, I can open the door for you, but after that, it's on you. And so I got the job. It was great. I love I loved the interviews. It was kind of cool because they ask you some pretty powerful questions. And so quickly moved through the company, did really well, started kind of the bottom feeder marketing rep. That was really interesting. But the cool part is, I think some of the story will connect the dots. When I was going to college, I got a job being trained by this guy. I was 
working for, uh, I had done accounting classes and stuff. So I got hired as like the auditing team for a summer. And there was a guy that was across the hall, great guy who worked on Xerox copiers. And I was bored out of my mind, pretty much like a high D. And so for me to be in a room where there's glass and the sun's out, my face is pressed against the glass. I'm like, get me out of here. I please, you know? Uh, and so I was talking, talking to Met, became quick, fast friends. He's running this little copy center across at AT&T. And we were talking, he trained me on some of his pieces. And then he told me the shocker. He told me he was making more money than I was. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, I am working for college. I need money. So I got a job working late when these high volume copiers for lawyers and you're learning how to do paper jams and all this stuff. That's cool. Making money. But then I get this interview at Xerox. I'm talking about machines that I've worked on. And this guy was just like a person like to tinker on things. And he showed me all these tricks and ideas so that could work. I get hired Xerox. Within the, the third month, I have this account. We, I get called in. Remember bottom feeder, right? Mm-hmm. I'm really selling these little machines. And they talk about how they're having a problem with this old machine, old Xerox machine. I say, can I take a look at it? I go down there and take an eraser, some alcohol. I fix this mark they're having that they can't figure out. They're super frustrated about. And they go, wow, it's pretty wild that this works. Hey, we have another machine over here that we hate. I won't say the name because there may be people listening to this podcast that work for the company. Mm-hmm. Make a long story short, I told them the difference and why they should go to another, why they should go to another machine, blah, blah, blah. That machine, I sold it. That mm-hmm. machine was worth 80% of my budget for the year. So anyway, closed it. It's cool. Did some more of those things, got promoted. I moved pretty quickly through the company and Let's see, I think I was about 28 years old and I was moved to uh, product manager, high volume, which is big ticket stuff, between 50 and a half a million dollars and started closing the business and doing really well. And it was cool. Made lots of money. That was fun. And I actually paid for my wife's college just because I could. And um, it was really fun. I learned a lot from a lot of really good people. You know, I think you have an attitude of learning. People will help you grow. And it was fun. Great ride, great success. Still friends with a lot of people from uh, the big X from back in the day. Mm -hmm. But somewhere along the way, you were an award-winning salesperson, and you decided to leave there and go into ministry. (laughs) Is that correct? Am I I getting the history right Yeah, Yeah. Tell me about that decision. I'm a sucker for potential. I'm attracted to potential. (laughs) And yeah, I was killing it. um, Number one in the district, number one in the country, really fast-tracking in the company. It was really interesting because I really had, the thing for me, the ride at Xerox really was kind of, I think, on the way somewhere, pretty much. That pivot really was based on the fact that I really knew the great success, as a person of faith, the great success that I was actually moving through, it was just pretty amazing. But I all along, I loved working with young people. My life was radically changed by this guy named Peter Bruno. He ended up being my youth pastor, and this guy believed in me, encouraged me. And I was really curious about some just things of faith because I heard a lot of stuff, seen a lot of wacky stuff. And I just, man, I just, there were things I literally thought to myself, man, I wish someone told me when I was like 14 about this. There there were things I probably could have avoided or better choices I could have made. And not that life was really, you know, terrible. I mean, you know, that shift for me really, I feel was like a defining moment for me where I'd work with high achievers. I was one known around the country and really killing it as far as with my competition. I was a real student of understanding competition. 
And I think that kind of transferred as just knowing that my mission, my purpose was to help people to grow and to develop. And so I remember the meeting I had with this church. I've been working with young people at that time and the decision to leave. Now, mind you, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that I left Xerox twice. <laughs> so the first time I left to finish Bible college, they were in shock. I had killed it that year. I won a trip and I didn't go on it because it's called Presence Club. You want, you know, top reps, they win the trip. So didn't go to that, quit. They were like in shock. They're, what are you doing? My budget at that time was, I think, $198 million, and uh, we had crushed it. <laughs> They're like, you're going to go, you're going to go back to Bible college and be poor. That was <laughs> funny. So funny. But I'm like, you know what, dude? I live with integrity with this, this. And I was honest. It took me a little bit to quit, though. We can talk more about that later. But then I moved. I moved up and finished Bible college. And then I came back, which was pretty wild because a guy actually had saved his life. He had someone hunt for me to find me. And I actually moved back to Xerox in an, another position just as influential. When I left, my job got, they iced my jobs, 13 of us in the country. And when in a 17-month period, it came back and they reached out. They were hunting for me. And uh, I said, you know what? This is cool. Let's do it. After I did that, crushed it for a year. It was really awesome. I quit again. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute. I got to ask a question. You said a guy that you saved his life. Was that literally or figuratively? <laughs> no, literally. Yeah, no, literally. Wait, you don't just pass over things like that. You saved someone's life. <laughs> what happened? And then he recruited you to come back to the company. Is that the yeah, way? Yeah, yeah. It was... Uh, yeah, it was 1991. It was, a, it was beautiful. It was a beach in Maui because that's where the trip was. And uh, there's a place called Big Beach, Little Beach. I think we're in Little Beach. We're the one where people had clothes on, okay? For the <laughs> listeners, like, I really want to feel like clothes on. So my friend Bob, he was the head of, there was a customer business unit he was overseeing. Making a long story short, we were out. We were doing some snorkeling. I had my mask and my flippers and uh, we're out there. And then we realized we were out in undertow. And Bob had just kind of stopped smoking. He wasn't in the best of shape. And make a long story short, Bob ran out of gas and I gave my mask, gave my flippers first and I gave my mask. He ran out of gas and I gave him a big old push and I thought to myself, well, I guess this is it. So I got pulled back in. I thought, man, I've just been married. I don't even know. I think it was maybe, I think it was like 16 months at that point in time, maybe 15 months. And I thought, this is it, dude. I'm going down. I'm out of strength. And it was wild though. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, there's a part in scripture that talks about into your hands, I commit my spirit. Literally, that's why I said, I'm like, man, you know, what? my wife's young. She's beautiful. She can marry. I thought it was over and got caught by a wave, nothing but miraculous. And there I am, Bob and I are laying on halfway in the ocean on a beach, just keenly aware of the fact that we just had a uh, life or death moment. And, you know, I'm happy to say he never forgot it. And he never, the, not just the sales stuff, the business stuff that happened, but, you know, that life on life stuff that happened that moment that he never forgot. He said, man, you just decided you're going to be courageous. And again, my conviction of someone knowing Christ and not knowing Christ, it was like, dude, I know him. And I, if this is not just about sales and family, this is about someone's soul. So that was it for me. So here I am, I lived and, uh, you know, a couple of years after, not even long after Bible college, Bob's assistant found me, reached out to me and said, hey, we're opening up this position again. We'd love for you to come back if you're willing. They made an offer I couldn't refuse. I knew it was time, the season had shifted. And so I pivoted back into corporate. And then finally, I pivoted into being a youth pastor, which is pretty crazy. I remember the 
committee. They were pretty excited about the big old package they were going to hand me. And then I showed, <laughs> I showed my W-2. And uh, <laughs> my father-in-law was actually on that committee. And he said, I had no idea you made that much money. Are you sure you should do this? <laughs> but it was worth it. I'd do it again. They made you an offer you couldn't refuse. It just yeah, didn't involve yeah. money, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And it involved people. And that's probably why. And I can say... Um, Man, doctors, lawyers, teachers, Navy SEAL. I mean, this the whole gamut. I had an opportunity to uh, connect with, you know, rub lives, you know, move through life. And it's been very rewarding. Well, it's, you know, this podcast is called Impact Makers. And I want to help people make an impact in the world, myself included. And usually, you know, if I do get pushback on that, and I have, you know, people will say, you know, oh, you want to save lives or whatever. I mean, you've literally, you've saved lives, both literally and figuratively in terms of helping people to find themselves and also, you know, saving their life physically. But what's it like kind of being full-time in a position as a minister, as a coach, where you mm. are really speaking into people's lives in a way that you are seeing you're making an impact because you can see the impact, the life change. Well, I think one of the key things is being grateful. I think that's one, if, if you can stay grateful, it keeps you humble. I think it keeps you clear on the privilege you have to add value to someone's life. And I don't think you've really lived if you're not impacting someone's life. And I think that, you know, it's, I just want to acknowledge the fact that you're like really intentional about saying, hey, this is about impact. You know, I think real impact doesn't happen by accident. I think it happens intentionally, you know, and I think, you know, that my attitude is really the attitude of stewardship. It doesn't matter how much money you have on the planet. Everyone has the same amount of time. And so how do I steward my life, my time, my energy to be the most effective that I can be? And so I'm intentional about how I would, I'll use a verb, it's spend my life. You know, how do I live a life that matters? And I think when it comes to the coaching and that whole piece, as far as uh, some life coaching, some of the keynote speaking and stuff that I, I love to do, it's about helping people realize that, you know, actually you're not powerless, you're actually powerful and you're making decisions. And maybe I can help you understand it to a greater degree what's on the menu of life here, right? What's being served up. And I like to look at it as I'm celebrating someone's good choice because I helped them. Mm -hmm. I was there and, you know, as far as, you know, along this road, like if we're, if rarely do people have an opportunity to go A to Z with people. I think just being grateful. Hey, you know what, if it's C to E, that's cool. And how do I help that be the best C to E I can help mm -hmm. bring? Awesome. So when, you know, people think about ministers, I'm sure they think, oh, well, these are people who are, you know, preaching from a pulpit every Sunday and talking about winning people over to, you know, in this case, Christ. But I think what I see from you is that you do deliver messages, but you also do keynote speaking on leadership and other topics. You seem to be very intentionally focused on, on that kind of coaching approach with people. Mm. Has that always been the case or was that as a result of kind of going through your certified John Maxwell coach? Is that correct? Yeah, Maxwell coach. I'm a serial coach trainer person. I just love learning. And I just, I've been through Patter, the Patterson group, which is another strategic and operational thing, coaching intentional churches. I'm a master's in executive leadership. I would say that the whole coaching piece or leadership thing, there was a time in my life where I found myself, I'd be sitting in rooms of influence and trying to figure out how I got there. 
like I spoke to the presidential cabinet in Costa Rica and talking about leadership principles and integrity and character based on some of the things that actually were going on in the country. I've sat with senators in a Senate in uh, Chile, mayors and other influencers. I've been a chaplain. I've been in on work with spec ops people in the military. Uh, last night I was with 14 CEOs. There's probably, I don't know, maybe two, three billion dollars in the room. I think the part, the aspect of how it developed for me was recognizing that, well, I think I, when people started highlighting, I'm really encouraged by you. You know, you're always drawing the best out of me. And I thought, you know, maybe it's simple mentality. Like, what else are we supposed to do, right? Am I, am I supposed to draw the worst out of you? You know, I'm going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to tell you the real deal. But for all intents and purposes, it was probably me really realizing the feedback. And a friend of mine, you know, Mike Kim, he uh, said, you know, you should probably ask some of the people that you're coaching, like, why do they have you coaching them? How do you get invited to these places? So I started asking them for my own, I don't know, understanding. But really, it came down to you care enough to tell me the truth. I just think that that's when you're telling people the truth, you don't have to have a really good memory. <laughs> so that's a good question, I think, for myself and others in terms of telling the people the truth. Do you feel like that they're inviting you to tell them the truth or are there times where people you see they need some truth telling and you might offer that? How do you walk that line between when you know somebody needs to do something or make a change or take advantage of an opportunity, but either they have or haven't asked you, you know, how do you do that? I think one of the keys about speaking the truth is understanding the permission that you have, especially in my, in just the role and responsibility I have, I kind of qualify it. I ask them, okay, so who are, as you're talking to me, especially different roles I have in people's lives, are you talking to me as your friend? Are you talking to me as your coach? Are you talking to me as your pastor? What's the hat that you, in this exchange, this dialogue, that you are looking at me as far as what you think I'm wearing? So that's fascinating. So the answer could be different depending sure. on which hat. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And because I think so, because one of the things is that, you know, coaching is asking powerful questions. When someone's asking me something, well, what do you think about it? Well, what do you think about it? <laughs> you know, because uh, you're actually living with it. If we're talking about something that's a moral issue, I might say, well, I might say something as simple as this is what the Bible says. So, okay, go. So have a wrestling match for that. But as a friend, yeah, I love you. And this is beneath you or you need to rise up because I think accountability has been couched as a way where, you know, I tell you what I'm doing wrong as opposed to I'm telling you what I'm dreaming about and you hold me accountable to the standard that's necessary in order for me to get there. Oh, I like that. I always say I'm the queen of unsolicited advice but I usually announce my unsolicited advice and think that gives me permission. I'm about to give you some unsolicited advice. <laughs> but, you know, and I know that's not the case. So my friends, it's kind of a, it's not even a running joke. It's just, okay, give me your unsolicited advice. I can, I will or won't take it. But I like that approach of which hat, you know, even if you're not a certified coach, which hat are you asking me that question? Whether that's a family member or a friend, or even in a professional setting, a lot of times people do just want you to listen Mm -hmm. And I actually heard this from a pastor once at a church that I attended where he explained his frustration with, he said, I'm a problem solver. 
And if you come to me with a problem, my first instinct is to try to help you solve the problem. And I struggle with the fact that not everybody wants that. Mm, (laughs) Some people just want you to listen. And so it's really on us to understand what the intentions are of the person that we're talking to, Mm. even though we may be equipped to deliver all kinds of tools and solutions, I think. And yeah, and plus I don't like being blamed for stuff, right? So sometimes just it's an easier target. So and I think of things like this as far as like permission. So new TV, got to connect with the Blu-ray and this thing, that thing. My son comes in. I go, hey, Christian, that's his name. I say, hey, could you help me set this up? So, you know, takes a remote, pushes buttons, click, 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 puts it back down on the table. Well, you solved the problem, but that didn't for now. What happened? You know, so it's kind of like that thing of understanding the permissions that are required for this to be, uh, I want to help you, not just for now, but for the next. And so I I want to be really careful in qualifying, quantifying what is it you're actually asking and who are you actually talking to? Mm -hmm. Interesting. So how do you kind of walk that life of you are a pastor of a large church and people have expectations or how they view a pastor, but yet you also coach leaders, like really high-level business leaders, as you mentioned, CEOs of large mm-hmm. companies. Is there any kind of dance that you have to do to walk in those two different roles? Well, I just decided a couple of years ago, I love John Maxwell. I love the things he says, and I'm, I was a part of a uh, mastermind he did for a couple of years. And so, you, can, you know, you get to ask your questions. So I asked the question about, you know, you're moving with influencers and people and he did it. I mean, he just, he transit, he did a great pivot as far as just the writing and the, you know, just being a leadership guru learner. Right. And he just said, be honest with yourself of who you are and be aware of who it is you're attracting and don't deny it. Mm-hmm. You know, I said to decide who do I need to get permission from to do it, to be me. I did an exercise about three years ago. Now it was a life plan. I sat down and was, you know, a coach for two days. And basically uh, you get to watch your own autopsy. And so <laughs> that's, that's what it was. And so we, he had to ask me this question. He said, Eric, what's keeping you from just headlong diving into this thing that's clearly part of your calling, a part of your assignment? What are you doing? Is it pride or is it fear? And so uh, I stood there and stared at the wall and my whole life on pieces of paper, sticky paper notes on the wall. He left the room. It took me three hours as I walked through my life and looking at things, those defining moments to come to the conclusion that I'm not here by accident. This isn't by some other deal and however someone takes a divine design or whatever. But that thing that resonates inside of me, it says, I was born for this. My purpose, I'm clear. And so, again, that I understanding about stewardship allows you to love people without a hook. So someone does stupid, you know, someone says, you know what, I'm just going to do this. I have to love them because they have to take responsibility for what they're doing. And I'm going to care for them and help them to actually be the best they can. So I, I don't think it's a tightrope because I think, well, uh, I'm a pastor, church and people. I have people who are high, high influencers in my church. I had a guy who left my church because he didn't like the word success. I talked about success and life and success and this, and he had a problem with it. And so I said, you know what, man, I don't understand it. It's okay. I mean, I look in the Bible, I see success all over the place, but I'm sure there's somebody that you, someplace you can go to that won't have a problem. They won't talk about success. Mm-hmm. That's not being cold. That's just me being true to the environment that we have at and this legacy church is named legacy, not because of cool name, but out of, conviction. Mm -hmm. Like 
we're going to live our lives and we're going to make it count. And so I fly often. I was on a plane yesterday and, you know, I'm with, with traveling around people and they're, you know, I'm exec plat. I get upgraded all the time. I'm flying first. I'm, I'm talking to people all the time. And am I supposed to not? Well, I'm a pastor. So, no. If I was looking at the Bible, Jesus was around influencers all the time. And people got frustrated. What do you do? Don't you know who that lady is or who that person is? A tax collector. Uh, you know, people know her in town. Well, I'll just live there. <laughs> How was that? Was that okay answer? <laughs> I like it. I mean, I think... I admire what you're doing because it's, it really is. I don't think there are, you know, rules or guidelines or ways you can or can't live as a person of faith or as a business person. And I, I don't understand why people often don't think those two things can combine, you know, or why a successful John Maxwell type or a Rick Warren who, you know, wrote The Purpose Driven Life or these mm-hmm. pastors who have gained a lot of attention for their wisdom that they've shared, whether it's through books or speaking outside the church, Andy Stanley would be another one, that then people often criticize them for their success. Like Mm. you said, like if you're a person of faith that you're supposed to take a vow of poverty and humility in the sense of I'm always in the back. Mm. And I don't know that that's the path that everyone has to take. Well, that was a problem I had with the young leaders. And so working in even in the church and uh, young leaders that have come up through the youth ministry I was overseeing, these people are stone cold killers. These men and women are crushing it. And I say it with unashamedly because people say, what was the difference? I'm like, dude, I taught them how to hunt. That was to be a full on aggressive, to not be afraid of anybody and to live their lives to the fullest because they decide. And to think somehow, some way, you know, and I'm like, personal faith or not a faith, if you're not bringing your best, then what are you doing? Then don't complain about the only person that can hold you back is you. And why I'm so probably so forceful about that is it's like, again, I can look at a man's slave, sharecropper, factory worker, you know, a guy at college, we moved from the hood to the burbs, parents who they didn't have, you know, their story. And it's like, dude, what do you, let's not, so we can sit and grovel and I, this side of the tracks, that side of the tracks. But right now in this moment, what are you doing to win? How focused are you to live that dream that you talk about all the time, but don't have actionable steps? And, and when it's all said and done, are you going to finish well and leave something Are you going to live so powerful that people can't forget you? Mm -hmm. And that's just a big deal to me. That is a great quote. Are you going to live so powerful that people can't forget you? I'm going to have to take that and sit with it after this podcast episode. I love that. That's why I love to talk to you. I did hear you talk. uh, We met at Mike Kim's Influence and Impact Conference a year or so ago. And then Mike had a second one earlier this year that I was unfortunately not able to attend, but I did get to hear your talk online uh, as part of his summit that he did later and just loved every minute of it and super jealous because as a public speaker, that's what I do for a living. You know, I'm always looking for people that can inspire me to be better. And I love the delivery. I love the impact. I love the voice. I, I don't know that I can mimic that, but Do you think the public speaking skills that you have, is that something you've developed over time? Is that natural ability? How does that come about? Well, oh, inspiring one. (laughs) I have to tell you, your presentation at Influence and Impact, it was so, I mean, amazing. So I'm an avid follower of you on Facebook and your different things, your podcast, which is awesome, by the way. And 
I got to tell you, your presentation, I was like, this is possible. Yes, as far as working on it. And I just trying to be the best I can be to communicate more effectively. But after the influence impact, I started taking communication classes. I had through college and things, but literally we're working on how I deliver messages. How do I create or deliver provoking thoughts? You know, I still have pictures from your slide deck. And I'm like, someday I'll have something to fill those with because it's so, uh, what I do is so, it's varied. Next week I'm in Chile, I'm in Argentina, and I'm in, in Uruguay. Got a 10 day run speaking some places, but I've got a translator. And so uh, I'll be meeting with some sinners and some people, but I've had to get better even communicating with a translator. I mean, how do I deliver something in a way that in another language will translate in the way and the deliverable will come through as strong as if it was English? So, yeah, I've been working on it. That is a great challenge, but I got to back up. I mean, wait a minute. You're sitting in an audience a year ago listening to me talk to people about, you know, the topic was something about how to how to be a speaker or delivering, you know, yeah. impact through speaking. But you're a pastor. Back it up. You deliver a message almost every week, if not more. You're like out there getting the reps. And then you tell me that after that, you started taking communication classes to deliver with impact. I need to know more. Tell me more. <laughs> well, I think a couple of things. I think number one, I'm just a firm believer in developing your Delivering your gift. I mean, being able to get better at it, to be clear, concise, understanding, working inside of a timeline, using the effective medium as far as slide decks that bring impact to people. And I also enjoy the fact because you are communicating clearly, but you're also a builder and a builder of people, right? And so that's what gets my attention. I'm one that I will listen and listen again, because even though I find sometimes you can get lazy if you're not challenged. One of the things that because I travel a bit, I'm constantly challenged about delivering messages. But the piece about the keynote is I realize it's like some of those pieces are you're actually figuring out how to frame out what you carry, what's in your heart and what's going to help people in that particular vertical market that's going to inspire them. And I was just really impressed by what you did and how you delivered it and the poise that you had. You were not moving all over. It was just great. I'm like, oh. And so I practice that stuff because I want to get better. I'm blown away here that I'm like the things you're saying and you're like complimenting me at the same time. But thank you for that. But I was, you, the words coming out of your mouth are great for anybody who wants to be a speaker. You have to package what's in your heart and figure out how you're going to deliver that. And that I think when people ask me about becoming a speaker, my answer to them is often, you know, do you know what you want to talk about? Mm. Because sometimes you see people who are much more enamored with the idea of I want to be on stage in front of people and travel and you share your nice hotel reviews and I didn't pay attention to the ones that were awful, <laughs> you know, and, and you can kind of see that some people are headed down that kind of I want to be on stage path. But the people who I think really make a difference as a speaker are the people who have a message to share. Mm. It is impactful and have really figured out a way in most cases to package that in a way that people can take that with them. Mm. So your talk at the Influence and Impact Conference, what was the title of that one? The topic of that was, let me think, it was actually how to, it was the legacy talk, yeah. how to help high achievers finish strong and win. focus, win, and finish strong. <laughs> that's, that's your tagline. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's my deal. That's like, I love it because it's actually possible. What's the takeaway from that talk and from your 
message in the life that you're leading? How do you encourage or inspire people to do that? I think one of the first things is, is that really just deciding like how at the end of the day, and it's really simple at the end of the day, what are we going to high five over? You know, what are we high fiving about? Like, what's the win? And when we look at the sum total, even of our day, we're going to say, I did these things because this was helping me in a cumulative manner. It's going to help me get to this. Mm -hmm. I work with a football team. I am their leadership coach. And so I help them understand I'm working right now with them on mental toughness. So what are the things that you need to say no to so that you'll have an opportunity to say yes to? What does it mean? So the game Saturday night. So Friday night, I'm in my room at eight o'clock. I go to bed. I'm making the choices that are necessary in order for me to be the best I can be. So that aspect of, you know, really, it's like, what's the win look like? And then focus that part of I'm going to give my time and energy to be the best that I can. So that means that, you know, in from football player, I don't blow off practice. I don't miss, you know, you want to get better at speaking. You want to get better at leading. Then, you know, what you feed will live and what you starve will die. So what are you focusing on? And then lastly is the other piece about finishing strong. I mean, when you visioneer, when you're thinking to yourself, and I do this is an exercise I do with leaders often when I'm doing workshops or whatever. I ask the question, I go, how about you write your eulogy? What do you want people to say about you? I know it can be still a little morbid, right? But at the end of the day, I, my question is, okay, so now how are you going to have to live in order for them to actually, for what you wrote, for actually for them to be able to say that? What do you do? Because I've been through like, I mean, I had the opportunity to work with a life coach at once. I've been through executive coaching certification training, and we had to do that in there. And then I've worked with a speaker coach who started with the same exercise. It's that kind of, you know, write your eulogy or imagine what's on your tombstone. That's always really hard for me. Is mm. there a reason why that's hard for me? Do you have people that struggle with that? Do you see some common themes as to why we struggle with picturing the end and what people will say? <laughs> Well, um, I'm getting free coaching here, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be be honest, I put your hat on with honesty. <laughs> okay, yes, put that on. Okay. So, you know, I think it's a coaching call, but one of the things that I find most high achievers do is they underestimate themselves. And so they need to have someone else who can help them read their label because you can't read, you know, that's on the outside of you. And so, if I were working with you, if you said to me, well, I think that I can deliver. I'm going to do eight. I would probably say, probably you could do 12, but let's start with eight, right? So that under promise over deliver thing, that can be a real challenge when I call it, and some depends on who it is, day away with God or taking a retreat where the only question that you're looking to answer is, if I had no limits, what would this look like? Because then it will scare you. Then it'll cause you to reach higher. And so I think sometimes that exercise is like, wow, when the end is near, like, what would seem impossible to you? Write it down. About, okay. Just you write down what, man, I would love to do this, but it seems so far out there. Like, this would be crazy, but okay, I'm gonna write it down. Mm -hmm. And then what we do is we'd unpack, well, why not then? What is, and that would be rungs to the ladder on how to get there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, you're a killer, so that's like super easy. I would be so easy to me. I'm like, okay, we have to just, we're going to take this thing, but. Well, let's go to the penthouse. What does that look like? <laughs> let's do it. Let's take the furniture. Let's go. Like we're going to build the picture. And so it becomes, it, now it just becomes a part of this undeniable. You're like, I have to do this. Well, and it's, it's, you know, as you said, I think 
I won't ask you to coach me on this call. We can pay you for that. Cause <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, I work with leaders and I've coached leaders as well. And I ask those questions and I love the people who like are just all over it. And they come back and they've written this wonderful eulogy for themselves about how their family loved them. And they mm. had accomplished these things and they impacted the world and started a nonprofit and, you know, brought people to Jesus. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. that is amazing. Good job, you. And then there are people like me who sit there and go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, actually, I'd rather, I'd rather that because, again, we would revisit that. I would say to a person who's come back, all these really cool ideas, I'm like, that's so cool, like such a great story. But now let's go back and let's write something that scares you. Oh, okay. So what you're saying is that I'm actually winning because I'm not just creating something. <laughs> it would be really amazing to hear what's in the heart of hearts downstairs in the basement in that closet behind all the mason jars. And I just go back there and we say, okay, now we find this little jar. What is that seed that you haven't planted in the secret garden of your heart that needs to with dynamic watering and nurturing and care so that when it's all said and done, it's just this beautiful thing. That is amazing. Once again, I love the visual picture. Your communications training is going well. (laughs) So, I want to wrap up with a couple of questions and then make sure we have an opportunity to share ways that people can connect with you and learn more about you. But you mentioned very early on, I believe it was your great, great grandfather was an emancipated slave who started his own farm. Have you ever visited that place? Do you know where it is? It is in Noose, North Carolina, and my grandfather, I've been on that property a number of times. We have, back in the day, we'd have family reunions between four and 500 peoples, peoples. Peoples, the peoples reunion, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Crazy. It was cool, so cool as a little kid. So yeah, I had opportunity to be on that property quite a bit, and probably... Oh, let me think here. I'm going to give it 20 years ago, my grandfather passed away. And just before that, he sold the property. This is a pretty funny story. I'll just tell you quickly. He had some people from the Marriott who someone brokered the deal basically for a property in North Carolina from the Marriott. And they said, listen, we'll pay you. Uh, we can either pay you a lump sum or we can pay you over the next 20 years. And it was going to be, I think, double the amount. And so uh, my grandfather, who I think was 71 at the time, said, okay, I'll take the 20-year payment. (laughs) (laughs) He's a long-term thinker. (laughs) Yes, he lived. He died two years later after they finished paying him. Wow. So crazy. But yeah, we were on the property and my, but I just, I laugh because just my grandfather, that was his, this his way. He was so now like, it's a Marriott. There's a Marriott on it. Yeah. There's a big Marriott property there. Yep. Amazing. Well, I mean, I love, you know, history and the fact that you have yours. I actually grew up in the house that my great, 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 I believe it's five, five generations, grandmother built. Oh my. And my brother and I are the fifth generation to live there. So, you know, for me, sometimes, especially now as I get older, I can sit in that house, which my mother still lives in, and just kind of feel that history. Mm. And, you know, I I love the fact that you you know that and that you can trace the success of your family and there's some really good roots there. So where can we find Eric Peoples today? If we were looking for him <laughs> on the well, internet, because it sounds like if we're looking for him in person, he might be on a plane. Well, you can find me on ericpeoples.co. 
that's my site. And you can find out more about me there. And in just a couple of weeks, there'll be a podcast and things you can link to that actually, you know, more stuff. And uh, then there's a YouTube channel, Eric Peoples, and you'll see some of my keynote stuff. And actually, hunt me down. You can find me on Vimeo. I've got so many. I've been, I've been doing this for a minute. I'm an old man. So there's like Vimeo from all types, different nations, et cetera. I've been in and so conferences and stuff. So if you're yeah, an old I'm, man, what am I? I'm older than you. <laughs> <laughs> and I am I mean, not old. <laughs> I mean, it's fine, but for the stuff like, you know, um, the coaching, the keynote, that's coming. I'm excited about a book I'm writing right now with the amazing Karen Kilbride Anderson. She is a genius. Karen's with Morgan James Publishing, yeah. naturally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Morgan James. Yeah. So well, let's back up. Breaking news, I think. Podcast upcoming. What's the podcast going to be called? <laughs> Mike Kim, the genius. He says, call it the podcast with Eric Peoples. So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Mike is a man of few words. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so it'll be, it'll be stories about life's interviews. Pretty much, I'm keeping it to 15 minutes, leadership stuff, high impact stuff, reflections. And my goal really is to kind of share some life lessons along the way. I can help some folks just kind of do life together. So, yeah. And so I was there kind of when, uh, speaking of Mike Kim, who's gotten like, this is the fifth mention now of him here. Um, <laughs> we'll definitely link to Mike's website and <laughs> as well as Eric's stuff. But I was at, at the conference where Mike had you stand up as an example a year and a half ago or whatever it was to, he outlined your book for you in like two minutes. Is that still kind of the outline of the book? And if so, or if not, what is the book going to be about? Well, we're working on it, but it's pretty much about living a life that matters. Wait a minute. That's the impact maker's motto here. (laughs) (laughs) A career that you love and a life that matters. That tagline is taken. (laughs) So uh, we'll just do something. We're figuring out. But uh, it's really really about sharing some keys to... uh, on how to be successful in business and life. And I've got some interviews and some stories with some of the CEOs and some of the high achievers I've worked with. And I've got some uh, stuff from Navy SEALs and other folks I've been around as far as life. And just, you begins to get some keys and you realize that, you know, living your best life is doable. It's mm-hmm. possible. And there's some people who've done it and some challenges they've faced. And this is how you define a life that really is a framed out legacy. Wonderful. So, yeah. I can't wait to read it. And the good news is, is that nobody has the dibs on creating a career that you love and life that matters. So we can can share that. We can, but I look forward to reading your book and Uh, the link to how people can connect with you. And I really enjoyed the opportunity to catch up with you and to catch you. So look forward to staying in touch with ericpeoples.co. And thanks for joining me today. Have a great day, Eric. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. You're, you are dynamic. All right. Thank you. It's time for you to get noticed, create change, and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review.